Emily? Why are you talking so quietly? I was wondering if you wanted to give me any direction. (laughs) I need you to talk louder. Okay, okay, that's good. It is funny. So today's panel is a director POV with a focus on Manhattan with maybe one of the greatest television directors of all time. I'm not biased at all, Thomas Schlamme. Um, But it did make me think a lot about the role of the director, I just side tangent for a second because we're very good at go them, for it. Is I just finished reading James Burroughs' book on directing. I think it's called Directed by, and it's just James Burroughs' book, as far as I'm concerned, pretty much the most prolific television director of all time, specifically in sitcoms, as he directed all of Cheers and all of Will and Grace, and started with Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart and Taxi, and I go on and on. And it's really interesting because they've often historically talked about how television is a writer's medium, film is a director's medium, and theater is an actor's medium. And I think for myself, even after 10 years, there was this concept of like, okay, the showrunner, the writer, the creator of television shows. And then what, what is the director's space to be creative within that framework in television? And what is their responsibility? And what I think is really interesting as it evolves, because it used to be particularly in sitcoms and even now in some dramas and procedurals, et cetera, you come in and you direct one episode and you leave. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the stage has been, the pilot director has maybe set that tone and look for you. And then you obviously have a lot of freedom and, and collaboration with the writer and the actors, but especially for long running shows, like you may not have a lot of uh, freedom to go beyond sort of a certain set of rules. But what is really interesting now are things like what James Burroughs did, which was direct all of cheers and now we have what they're calling producing directors Mm -hmm. and even directors who are showrunners and what goes into that as and how does sort of the machine that is a television series who's leading it and when and where tommy being one of the most prolific television directors as well and a two-time president of the DGA I think is at least one of the first people that pointed out to us that a director could be a showrunner as Mm -hmm. well and started making me realize the producing director role which is staying on a show even on the episode you're not directing you are producing as well and just all of the the touch points of creative input that directors can and do have well and uh, someone like Tommy, who created one of the most iconic television, I I don't know what you would call it, styles, shots. Walk and talk. That's what you call it. But he (laughs) created the walk and talk for West Wing. And the fact that he created that, and then I don't know what the story was for how subsequent directors took that on, but can you imagine directing TV and coming on the West Wing set and then it is now your job to implement the walk and talk. The walk and talk. Like how cool is that? Yeah. And it's such a, that's such a great example of what I mean is that everything we know of Aaron Sorkin and the way his dialogue is and the speed of it and the interaction, Tommy and him collaborated to create something that goes hand in hand with his words, the visual side. And they worked together on sports night too, which was very different, but like their partnership as director and writer to create what makes its way to the screen is just really cool. And I heard, so Tommy first came to the festival 
for the West Wing, right? Yep. I think okay. we had been wanting him to come Forever. for so long. He's also a Texan, P.S. Yes. One of the many reasons we love him. Yeah. And he came for the West Wing and we just, you know, bonded and wanted to do more and more things with him. So we asked him to be on the advisory board and he accepted and has helped us get other directors um, and and create conversations, pairing directors and showrunners together, being able to have sort of deeper conversations about these things. And Manhattan is one of the shows that he wished could have been on longer Mm -hmm. and had a really collaborative relationship with Sam Shaw on making it. And so this was, they also, we also did a panel that we've already released with Hollywood health and society that has Sam Shaw on it and goes a little deeper into Manhattan. But this is specifically a director's point of view on creating the show. And I don't think we've ever done that before. I don't think so either, but I think it's also cool because as you have probably hopefully listened to Tommy is who did moderated the conversation with Leslie Lincoln Gladder, which is also amazing to look at because you think there's only one director on a TV show at a time, Mm -hmm. but to think of the community that directors, especially in the television space have formed amongst themselves and that Tommy and Leslie have such a close relationship, even though obviously they're not necessarily working together. No, but they are both now Leslie being the president of the DGA. They are on the guild together. And I, I really wish I could go to like a guild meeting because it sounds like (laughs) I have no idea. I'm not even remotely going down the path of other guilds, but it does sound like the Directors Guild is an extremely collaborative Mm -hmm. place with a lot of working directors. And Leslie was very much encouraged by Tommy to run after he was done with his term. Um, And I think her fears were maybe assuaged because like if you're a working director, I can only imagine the amount of time. I mean, I won't even run for my HOA board. <laughs> and people have asked. <laughs> just saying. Just seems it's like a lot, a lot of pressure to be in charge of something. I gotcha. <laughs> no, I already got enough on my plate. This responsibility, this podcast is a lot. Um, but I just think this is really cool and that it's a one-on-one conversation. This is one of our micro combos. And I think it allows Tommy to really go deep on the show and on his role and – not that he doesn't enjoy because we do this later, but like you don't even have to share the microphone kind of a thing. You can just go mm-hmm. into a conversation. And so I think everyone should listen to this and then go watch Manhattan, which I don't know where you can watch it, to be honest. I don't either. Or you can just, I mean, you should go watch Manhattan and then go back mm-hmm. and watch all the pilots that he directed. Oh, yeah. I mean, including Parenthood, which yeah. is talked about on our parenthood panel. It is. They he was in the definitely audience. call him out from the audience, which is just lovely because that's the only episode he directed of parenthood, mm-hmm. but he obviously had such an impact on it. Yeah. So everyone enjoy a director's POV Manhattan with Thomas Schlamme and moderated by Ben Travers of IndieWire. Take me back to 2014. People are pitching you projects. You've got to have a few choices on your desk. What is it about a pilot? What is it about a new project that you kind of prioritize? Like, are there things you're looking for? Are there elements of the Hmm. script or the people that are pitching you? Like, what are kind of the things that help you separate the, maybe I'll do this, I'm interested in this, versus let's move this along? Well, first I want to tell you about an answer someone once said about that very thing. Mm -hmm. There was two actors who, they were doing um, a, a play, and they asked the same question to both these actresses. And the one actress gave this very long, detailed answer that uh, was really quite beautiful, but it was about her morality, the, the social statement that it was, who she was as a woman, uh, went on and on and on. 
The other woman, after a 20-minute answer, went, it just depends how long it's been since my last job. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I want to preface the idea of, uh, in 2014, I was fortunate at that time in my life to have been offered other jobs and to be in a position where I could actually uh, give the long-winded answer. Uh, but mostly it's about, um, there are two things that are really most important to me. Number one is whoever created this has a real vision. Okay. Not a vision necessarily that looks like a television show, but a vision of why they want to tell this story, why they're going to take up an hour of somebody's life every week to tell a story about this, whatever that might be. So I need to know that they, in their soul, have that, because then that's a partner that I can, we can figure out a way to maneuver that together. Um, and the other thing is, once they've explained that, that for me, that it feels like there is some value to this. Um, my job is to entertain, and I'm always very clear about that. But I do hope that what we're working on uh, has something that is something about the human condition that if you take the time to go through this process and you connect to these characters, there's something else that you're being told uh, or you're being asked to think about, which is the most important thing to me. No, that makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense, especially with so many of the projects that you've And that they pay on. me really well, well too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would Did hope I that. I mention that? I would hope that goes without saying, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no. Um, so it sounds like to get some of those answers, you'd have to be talking, like you'd have to start a conversation with whoever you're going to work with. So it's not purely like you read the script and base your decision on the script. You're trying to get to know the people a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've read scripts that I've really loved and then had meetings with the person. Mm. And then when they left, I thought, I don't think I'm going to be able to work with that person. Not because they were a bad person, anything. It just didn't feel like... There's such a relationship that I believe in, do you know? And I've been fortunate enough to work with extraordinary writers in my career who do believe in collaboration, even though they're very protective of what they've written or they're very protective of what they're trying to accomplish. But they've been collaborators, and I'm not interested in just trying to execute someone else's vision. I'm interested in seeing if I have something to add to that vision. Then I'm hoping that the other people that I bring in have something to add to that vision. And, and all of that is, that the process, and by 2014, the process was very important to me. I mean, at the beginning of my career, it was like, just get me a job. And, but it is, I sort of at this point in my career trust that the result, it might not be as good as I thought it was going to be, it might fall flat on its face, but it's going to be executed. We're going to get it done. But the process is equally as important to me. And so you start to work with people, you start to have an intuitive instinct of, I think we're going to be able to work together because you're putting together a family and you're sort of hoping it's a family that's not as dysfunctional as maybe the one you're from in your own life. <laughs> uh, so with Manhattan, what, what was it? Like when you, I assume you talked to Sam Shaw. Is this the main person like, that you talked to first and right. made the decision? Like what was the spark well, there, I guess? I mean, how did it start? And yeah. How did, yeah. Well, it happened with, because the woman in the back there, Julie DeJoy, who sort of runs my company, uh, <laughs> is really, really smart and knows that I'm, not only am I dyslexic, I'm a very slow reader and I'm a procrastinator. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it'll be, here's the script. Oh, sure, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And this was a script that, she, that was just a writing sample that was sent to us by oh, CAA wow. uh, of Sam's, just to say, you should know this guy. It had already... I guess they had tried to sell it somewhere and it never happened and no one's going to make a movie about making a bomb and so, I mean, a, a series about that. And she said, read this tonight. Just read it tonight. It's really good. 
I did, uh, and I think we met with Sam the next day or the day after. Um, and not only did I love the script, but I loved Sam even more. Because talk about somebody who had a vision. He had a vision of where this show would go for five years, which breaks my heart that we only got two of those years to ever do it. Uh, because the sort of hat trick of that particular show was that dropping the bomb was not what this show was about. The show was about the Cold War and the origin story of the world that we live in today. So the next three years would have been far more. There was much more story to be told of the things that people didn't know after we dropped the bomb. But once he started to do that, and he started to walk that through with me, and then I, he's just such a dear man, and uh, so smart, and so clear, and so open to, I had no idea how to do this. I can see <laughs> this world, it's a massive world that he was building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I think, the years of experience that I'd had and the sort of his ability to trust, you know, someone to sort of go, I think he can help me build that world. Uh, and so that was the beginning of it. I immediately, we called CAA and immediately we started working on the script together. Oh, great. Uh, so my company and him were working on the script. Uh, you know, he'd been working on it for five years. So to say that we then collaborate, I mean, it was a pretty solid script. Uh, but there were certain things, and he sort of saw that nothing was about production. It wasn't like, Sam, maybe if you didn't have the whole community, if you did, it wasn't about that. It was really about storytelling and what that was. Uh, and then we went out with it, and we were lucky enough to find partners. Um, we that's, thought we were lucky enough, but yeah, <laughs> some, of those, well, partners, I mean, at some least, of those partners didn't work out as much. As yeah, did, that's, so. uh, that's a story for another day. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I, I mean... It's so interesting to me to learn kind of where the first steps are for, right. especially for you in this role, like with the show, because, uh, you know, this is something that you really built from the ground up. Like you were with him right. at the very start, but that's not common, right? Like, is that is that no. usually your experience or is it more? Well, so it's like becoming more and more common, I okay. hope. You know, it's been always my push for a lot of directors and especially pilot directors to get involved earlier, to set up their own companies, to try to develop stuff themselves. Uh, to work with people that you can work with and, and then stay with that show. And so it, if I go to the process, once we had decided to do this, and it's sort of the way that I think you build pilots and how you can build pilots, which is that you sort of start with the idea of the script. And when you're dealing with the script and you're coming in both as a producer as well as the director who's then gonna do it, you know, the, the heavy lifting is the writer. And you're just there to sort of help guide if you can or to try to explain this is what I don't get I don't understand this I'm not sure how to communicate this whatever it is but it is writer centric at that moment and then you get a green light you can go and then there's casting and that's also someone who's here Jeannie Backrack who brilliantly cast that show as well as lots of others uh, and that's really a bilateral relationship that's really an incredible relationship with this writer and it's where you finally realize are you on the same path here. Yeah. Do you see these things uh, in similar ways by the way somebody might be uh, reading the scene or doing the scene? Uh, but you're really working together. And then there's how to take this that's on this paper and put it on film. Uh, and that is director-centric. Right. And that is not directed by himself or herself, it's just centric. So that you want that partner still. You, I, I loved having Sam. I loved 
I remember doing West Wing. I loved when I could bring Aaron to the set and go, I have this idea. What about this for the opening shot of West Wing? You know, it was like a, I was so excited to share it with him yeah. because that's the person I want most to recognize that we're together and that we can do this together. Uh, so when they start to see, it was bringing Sam to Santa Fe after we started building to sort of go, Look at this world we're building yeah. here. Yeah, know, which and it's was quite a world that we built. It it really comes through in the pilot. Like I revisited it yesterday, and and the the scope of the of the location itself, like you do such a good job of capturing it, both in like the the wide shots, like the big shots to right. to see it, and then in kind of those more intimate moments when we're learning the town and moving through the town. Um, but I guess before we get there, what were your kind of early discussions about the visual elements right. of the show? Like, what were your first kind of touchstones, yeah. I guess, in terms of setting that up? Well, here's what it was. I thought this show, I mean, first of all, the really ambitious thing was this was a show that you had to sort of deal with, you know, a workplace environment, which was the science of this. But it was also a show that was about a family. And then it was also a show about community. And all of those things were important. So that in and of itself, it wasn't, oh, well, we'll just build a couple of science labs and we'll do our show and occasionally we'll go out and find locations. And the other thing was then the sort of emotional part of the show, which was <clears throat> this was a world that didn't exist. Uh, you know, Los Alamos did not exist. They built it. The army built this town. So it was a place that didn't exist. It was a place that was a secret so that no one knew it was there. And it was a place when you were in it, you couldn't get out. So it was also a prisoner of war camp. So it was all of those things that I started thinking about. A film that I sort of quickly related to is uh, Robert Altman film, McCabe and Miss Miller. Oh, yeah. um, and the reason is, in McCabe and Miss Miller, it was a town in transition. It was what the West might have looked like when they were just building a town. And it was the first time I'd seen that, because Western towns all look like Western towns. They had the saloon doors went, and, but there was no mud. There was no dirt. People didn't take baths. That When it rained, it rained. When the wind blew, the wind blew. Uh, you know, this place didn't have addresses, Los Alamos. The streets weren't, there was no street signs, nothing. Uh, so that idea of the rawness of it was really important. So the one thing that very early on I made a decision about was I didn't want to build any sets. I didn't want a stage. I didn't want to walk onto a stage with air that's not real air and build a 1940s world. And so that became a really driving force in trying to find a place where we could build, which we ended up, you know, this, it was an 11 acre set. Uh, wow. I don't know if another television show has done an 11 acre set. But we were able, we were very lucky. We were scouting, we were looking around, we, were, we found a place, but it was not near Santa Fe, and it was with actors, this goes to the pilot, which yeah. you and I talked a little bit before this, which is, I have an obligation to shoot that pilot thinking that it's gonna go five years. Right, right. I'm not shooting the pilot to try to sell it. And then we sell it, and then now what do we do? <laughs> now we've built this mansion, and the houses next to the mansion aren't gonna look the same. Um, so I was really thinking of building this world and knowing that it was not going to be cheap, but I'm banking on our success. I'm banking that this will go five years. Then you amortize that over five years and we've built a world that we can live in now for five years. Uh, so it would make sense. Um, and so, but we found a, a kind of great place that we thought was this old, they were old barracks and, um, but it was in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. And we thought, 
So actors are going to live there <laughs> and with their families. And then we were fortunate enough, we were scouting in Santa Fe, and there was a college in Santa Fe, and in the back of the college was this, you know, it had been all, you know, uh, fenced in, and it was like, don't go in there, it's all decaying, whatever's in there. And it was an old 1940s Army's hospital that had just sort of decayed, that they had used for dorms and other things for a while. And then it was filled with asbestos and all sorts of other things. But it was fantastic. It was, it just went on forever. And for me, who actually likes to move when I shoot, yeah. uh, there were miles of hallways and things interconnected. And it, it just started to go, boy, we could take this and build the world. We could build the neighborhood. We could build all the science stuff, which was also different. There was a, you know, a class system in the science. There was the, this ragtag group that was like, you go over there in this little place, and then there was the high-end group. So they had to look different. And then there was a place where the community, you thought everything could be there except for the big vistas. Right. And then there was this ranch outside of Santa Fe, uh, Bonanza Ranch, which unfortunately was the place where the tragedy of rust happened. They were shooting at Bonanza that was just open and beautiful. I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of acres. Um, that was a, an old farm, an old ranch, that we were able to take certain parts of it and build a neighborhood. But there's very little. And the other thing is, I was trying to avoid as much visual effects as possible. First yeah. of all, it's 2014. Yeah. It wasn't as sophisticated as it is today. Um, and I just wanted those actors and all of us to walk into a world that you didn't have to do a lot of your extra work. Mm. The world was right there. You open the drawers, you look outside the windows, there's tanks, there's army trucks, there's soldiers. You open the windows, there's dust that comes in there. Uh, so the environment was really, really important to me. So that was the, those were the touchstones, and we were just really lucky enough to find that in Santa Fe. Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, the environment to me was always such a big part of it too, not only because of what you just talked about in terms of the scope and, and like the location itself, but obviously that first shot enlists like a lot of the dust and the swirling right. sand and everything, um, and you just feel that as an audience. And one of the things that um, I assumed would have been a concern in telling this story visually and in, in building this out was that when you hear that this story is about a group of scientists and they're doing math all day and they're in these barracks, why would I want to watch? Like, what about that is going to be visually compelling? And there's so many answers layered in to the pilot. There's so many answers to that question. They're like, oh, this is exactly why I want to do it. But was, you know, beyond the environment, I guess, were there other, were there other answers that you want to provide or talk about in terms of answering that question for the audience? Were there things right. you were concerned with where you're like, well, this is how I can do that? Part Obviously, of that is the fear of years. that. The fear of that was building a, a stage set. Yeah. And then yeah. there would be, oh, now it's going to be the test tubes that are going to be interesting. And the, all the little Bunsen burners and all the things that are, which were completely uninteresting to me. Yeah. What was interesting was the stuff that came off the chalkboard. Uh, not what they were writing on the chalkboard. And so all of that texture, all of that, and part of that was thematic. I mean, you know, we're talking about something that could destroy the earth as we know it. Yeah. So why not let the earth and all the particles that are part of the earth be part of the show? And I knew that that would be visually stimulating. Mm -hmm. All of that doesn't matter if the characters aren't interesting. Mm -hmm. So the truth of it is, you know, Sam wrote a beautiful script about these people. And his whole, and what got me involved, what got us involved in the show, was that, um, you know, right from the beginning, he told the story of why he wrote the script. 
And the reason that he wrote the script was his father worked as pro bono. He was a, a very well-known lawyer in New York. And then as he was retiring, he got this pro bono job to work in Guantanamo. Uh, but he couldn't tell anybody that he, what his job was. And so he, he was going to write a show about that. You know, this man who's in Guantanamo, but he comes home and he can't tell his family. But as he started to think about secrets and everything, everything led back to the desert in New Mexico. And so that's what he was interested in. What do secrets do to us? What does that do? And, and he was writing to the individual. I was also, and he knew, was thinking about what does it do to our society? What does it do to all of us that secretly no one knew we were building this atomic bomb, which is why in the pilot, when the young kid discovers, when Charlie discovers you're building an atomic bomb, that most people wouldn't even know it by seeing the equation. And right. it's such a haunting thing. And it is the origin story. Um, so <clears throat> I was not, I knew if we could build this whole big world that it would be visually stimulating, that it would be, and I also, just scouting in New Mexico. I don't know if anybody has spent time in New Mexico, and I believe Texas has big skies, and I grew up in Texas, but it does not have skies like New Mexico. It is, it is kind of, it, you know, on the license plate, it's the land of enchantment. So it was a production design also. Those skies and that weather and uh, everything was part of the visual palette of the show. Well, you've touched on a few of these things already, but I did want to just ask specifically about that yeah. opening shot. Um, obviously, there's there's so much that goes into it, just from a, a reveal standpoint of, of like trying to you know lure you into this character that you're going to be spending a lot of time with. Um, but you know, there's a lot of artistry in it. The 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 wind, the the sand, everything blowing around, the headlights, kind of the, the silhouette right. that you created with him. Like all of that is very striking imagery on its own. But how do you go about? I guess just on your end, like is that a discussion that you had with Sam, was that a scene that he wrote and you just had it and then you had to visualize how you wanted to do it? It's the first shot of the show. Like It's right. the first thing people are going to see. How much pressure do you put on yourself to be like, I got to make this striking, memorable, right. X? You know. I don't think I'm, I'm putting the pressure. I've got to make it striking or visually, you know, but how do I tell the story in an opening scene that you're now going to know you're going to be on a big journey here with us? Yeah. So I do think of that. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes that can just be a close-up of somebody's yeah. face and yeah. just hold on that, or it, I, I don't know. But I believe you're telling the audience right from the beginning, the show, and they'll lock in. It's sort of like the first impression, you know. It's yeah. you raise your hand in class and you answer the question the first time, right? The teacher's going, well, that's a smart kid. You might answer him all wrong after that, but she's locked <laughs> in that you're smart and you're fine. So uh, you're trying to do that in storytelling, yeah. you know, which is to sort of get that. But you're leaving out a massive ingredient in the description of this, which is John Lindley, who was the cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and somebody that I've worked with uh, quite a few times. He did Field of Dreams. He's done some wonderful movies. He did Pleasantville. He sneakers. Did, but, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Uh, so, and he's an incredible creative collaborator. And so, Sam had it written, you know, that he's in a dust, he's trying to play golf in the dust room to figure all of this out, and it's the dimples and the, the ball that is finally. Uh, but it wasn't that the car radio is on giving, you know, the names of those people who have perished. It wasn't that the headlights are there. It wasn't that. And so, right from the beginning, when I was saying I was more interested in the stuff that comes off the chalk, that John and I had talked about that, I talked about the earth and the, the, the environment there. And so, um, it was, you know, and we had done a pilot before where there was a massive dust storm in Australia. We had shot something once that was 
and you could bear, but it was beautiful. He was able to shoot light through something, so you couldn't really make it out, but you could see figures in there. So we sort of knew, remember that pilot that didn't get picked up? <laughs> Let's steal from ourselves and sort of bring it there. So that was part of it. The other thing that was really interesting about that scene, we had to actually move it from the place that we were originally shooting because we knew we were gonna use all that dust because mm -hmm. it was indigenous land. Oh. And if you use indigenous land, it has to be exactly what it was when you were mm. there. You have to leave it. And we were like, I don't know where all these dirt pieces were. Right. <laughs> you know, they're, they're all over the place now. So we actually had to move it. Wow. That's, I mean, it's, it is like just an incredibly striking start to me. And it's one of those things where um, you're drawn in by so many different elements of it. And, you know, obviously, to me, one of the things that was important about it, and this could have been in the writing, but it was definitely in, in you know, the way it was shot as well, was that it told me that this was how we would see this guy thinking. Like, this is how right. he processes some of the stuff that he has to process in order to move things along and, and, you know, make the discoveries he discovers. And that, to me, answered, like, a huge question about the show. It's like, okay, that is good to watch. Like, that is exciting to watch. And you did that, like, again and again and again throughout that pilot episode to, you know, illustrate to people how, you know, fun this was going to be to, to actually sit with. And right. that just... Yeah, that's exactly what I meant so. to do. <laughs> no, I know, of course. I'm just saying it for you so you don't No, to. thank you. Uh, um, but but yeah. by the way, that's part of it, which is we're inside his head. Yep. You know, all the way through, we're with Frank Winter. So yep. even in the pilot, there's that shot from the back of him where you're really in close on his back of his head after he's closed the door. And Sam also is somebody who could trust that silence is actually a way to communicate. It's not just dialogue. Yep. Uh, it's silence. And that whole opening sequence was that other than whatever he says, I think it's son of a bitch or yeah. uh, whatever yeah. he, when he finally realizes, fuck, I just <laughs> came up with something. And, and meeting some of these physicists that we met while we were there. Yeah, and the, the you don't want them to talk too much. No, no, no. Uh, and because so much is going on that that isn't necessarily linear, yeah. and isn't. I mean, it, it's. There was a time where we did discuss John and I. Do we show the world a little different? Because some of these, you know, it's the way Bobby Fischer would think when you could see four or five moves ahead, or you could, you know, they kind of see the world in a different way. Um, because, it, you know, look at those numbers. What the hell does that mean? What, you know, and they'll come up with this atomic bomb, you know. And, uh, but then we made a decision, no, we can be in his point of view without visually creating a different point of view uh, to that. I mean, we do it a little bit in the pilot with Charlie, mm -hmm. which if I had my way, I wouldn't do that again uh, <laughs> in the pilot. Uh, that I, I could have gotten enough the terror that he was feeling That's true. without kind of putting a little bit more syrup on it than it was necessary, but that's my own criticism of my own work. I love that you can look back on it and see that and be like, yeah, today maybe, just adjust this a but little bit. But that's the only thing I'll that's look it. back no, on. It's very seldom that I'll look back and go, I'd be oh, upset with you good. if it was, yeah, I'd, I'd be very upset if you were like, no, no, I gotta scrap this whole thing, this doesn't make any sense. Um, all right, we have to get to the audience questions, I promise that, uh, but right before we do, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask about was just, uh, in terms of this show and in general when you're trying to, like you said, um, create a pilot but also create something that's going to last, like right. you're going to stick with it and you, you want to you know, see this thing through, how important is it to try to get you know, the cast chemistry down and how important is it to get the, the staff chemistry down? Like are there things that you want to make sure you do to like get people in the same room, to get people talking, to get people... Um, 
you know, uh, connected to, to, the, to the material that you're trying to bring to life, to the story you're trying to tell? Or is it just kind of like, listen, we're going to shoot this thing, everybody's a professional, right. it'll come? Yeah, that's a really good question. And <clears throat> the truth of it is, it's monumentally important to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's never, we're all professionals, let's go. Um, I build in a two-week rehearsal in every pilot I've ever oh, done. Okay. Um, it's mandatory. It's not, uh, it's in the, it, it has to be in your deal. It's not like, oh, if you want to show up, you can show up. If you want to, uh, and part of that is, I don't do sort of traditional two weeks, let's break down the script. Let's work on this scene today. You two are going to work together. Uh, and they're all different. I mean, Manhattan, we had physics class. They all had to go to physics class. We did a day trip to Los Alamos. Uh -huh. uh, we went around throughout Los Alamos. And part of that is I just want everybody to be together. We all have to eat lunch together. We should all just spend time together. Because by the time the pilot starts, you guys have already been working together. You guys know each other. You know a rhythm with each other. This particular show, I mean, I'll do, uh, I know they're doing a parenthood. I did the pilot of parenthood. We went to the racetrack. Like, uh, we were in San Francisco, and like three times we went to the racetrack during rehearsal. Uh, and I gave every, I didn't, I didn't give my money. I got production to give me money uh, to give everybody. And the kids were gambling. Everybody was gambling. But it was, I wanted family activities. I wanted something that made you, I'll tell you something else on, uh, just very quickly on, on parenthood. I did a, one rehearsal with, uh, Peter Krause and Monica Potter, who were the parents mm -hmm. of uh, the child who uh, was on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had an older daughter. And Sarah Ramos was the older daughter. And I want, at this rehearsal, I wanted her there too. And Jason was there, Katums. Mm -hmm. And so we did a two or three hour rehearsal. And it was really just talking about the family dynamics and the structure. And, and the, the young boy was not there. Oh, okay. So we leave and Jason says to me, that was fascinating. I've never been through a process like that. But you know, you never included Sarah once, who was the daughter. And I went, that was by design. Because that's what later I will tell her. That's what you feel in this house. Oh, wow. You feel that everybody is talking uh, about Max, and nobody is talking about you. Uh, and she as a person felt that after that. Uh, so it's just, it, so the rehearsal is a kind of, what is this show about? Who are these people? You know, we'll look at documentaries. We'll, you know, um, really go back to school in this case. Uh, and, and then you start to see, in, in this case, because this cast, for reasons, this is why this, I wanted to talk about this pilot, everything worked right, other than WGN <laughs> canceling us. <laughs> but everything worked right, and these people from, I had a house that I rented in Santa Fe. We had a first time that was just a little table read that was there once we had a, a green light. And they were all just, it was like, oh, my work's done here. They, are, they all liked each other. And there was, usually there's somebody that wasn't, didn't exist. Uh, and they're all, we're all still very close. Yeah. It's on one of the few shows that, I mean, you take friends from every show. And then you'll see people, I mean, uh, Naturally, but, yeah. you know, that these are really lifelong friends uh, because, first of all, we were in Santa Fe all together and sort of the motto was, they built an atomic bomb, we can fucking make a TV show. <laughs> uh, uh, and so that was the idea that you're giving up a whole lot here. You're spending a whole lot of time uh, dealing just with the project, but it'll be over with and then you'll go back. And so everybody was transported and thrown there much the way 
these scientists were, right. were just picked up from Chicago or wherever and thrown into the desert. Wow. So. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> it, it shows. Like, it's one of those things where everything that you say about what happened afterwards and then how it was made beforehand just makes sense because of what we've, what we've seen within it. But um, I've gone on too long. I promised to let you guys ask a couple of questions. Does anybody have anything? We're, we're bridging toward the end. Uh, yeah, you, sir, go ahead. Before you <coughs> accepted the assignment to direct Manhattan, yeah. what sort of activities did you as a director uh, undertake to, to familiarize yourself oh. with the situation? Right. Uh, did you up and visit Lattle? Was you indicated that you were going to talk to uh, the, or that you talked to the physicists? Right. Uh, that you. Uh, yeah, I mean, in this case, I had a partner, Sam, who had spent five years, and he is a, and I say this with all love, he is such a research nerd, you can't, you can't <laughs> believe it. I mean, if he, if, I mean, he's a brilliant writer, but he would be in a room reading, so he had. He knew everything about Los Alamos. So yeah, uh, what we all did was, as the company, I just started to grab books, started to photographically get as much. There were letters from families to, you know, more than just, because I was never going to understand how they built the bomb. You know, there's the Richard, I think Richard Rhodes book, a very famous book, you know, it's about that thick and I made it about that far. Uh, but th what was really interesting, there's these books of family life there were books about, you know, that all started to inform so that when then I sat down with John Lindley, the production designer, I mean the DP, or in this case with Ruth Amon, who came in, she was the second production designer because the first one I lost to the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and it was fantastic. Ruth did an amazing job. She then, you know, we're handing her a research. So it all becomes everybody's doing the research. But yeah, I want to know something about the world that you know, I'm about to inhabit, even before I say yes, you know, but with Sam, it was so clear his vision and so clear what he was telling me that, and I knew enough about Los Alamos. What I knew mostly about it was that most people don't know about it, which was one of the reasons we could fictionalize part of the storytelling. Um, and still that most people don't know about, but you know, if the vice president of the United States didn't know it was there, don't ask me to. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, the big. Um, you spoke about the set and how large it was and right. how many things uh, it represented thematically depending on the time. I was wondering if you could talk to the collaborative process of building that. Were yeah. You, Sam, the production designer, DP, like were you there or were you all in LA? Like how did that process work? Well, I thought about that. Uh, thanks. I thought about that today and I thought what first happened, because it was Bob Shaw was supposed to do this with me. And I remember Bob being in, and I don't know if you remember this, Julie, Bob was in the office, in my office, and he had little cut out cardboard houses. And he had it, we put it all on the, the rug. Okay, we could put a house here. We could put a little house. Maybe we could build this, maybe, you know, and it was just the beginning of that process. And then looking at so many pictures, but so much was with the designer and with the DP and with myself. Sam was very involved, but as I said before, when we were dealing with the script, uh, I'm coming to him with any thoughts or I'm trying to share some stuff with him. Uh, it's the same on that end. So he wasn't in Santa Fe that much. Once, I mean, he, he saw, I mean, there's no way that he could have seen what we first had there 
and gone, and this is going to turn into this. Uh, because when we went there, the first time I went back after we made the deal and we went there, Lindley and I went, and there were like five guys in hazmat suits. And they're like walking through the different hallways and different places, and he's going, you sure we should be doing this? <laughs> uh, and so uh, it was, you know, I didn't want him to come until for a while, but, you know, when we started to build the entranceway and we started to, and then once we had that, you know, the neighborhood's gonna be over here and we're gonna take this, it was a horrible, it was a, the, the floors were out, they had an old auditorium in this place, but it was really, completely falling apart. And then Ruth just resurrected it. And we realized if we took the ceiling out, there were all these beams up there. So the auditorium that we use um, is beautiful. And you know, unfortunately, it all burnt down. It, they had a huge fire like two or three years ago. Um, and, and that was part of the tragedy after we finished the whole show. Because it was also, every drawer was filled. Everything, I mean, it wasn't just productions. I was the props, it's the set deck. It was this incredible group of people. And speaking of, you know, there was a moment where you know, I come to visit and I'm going, I'm crazy. I mean, look what, uh, I don't know if this is gonna work. And the people who were sort of paying for it weren't, it wasn't like the most friendly phone calls. I mean. <laughs> uh, and I was just gonna hold on, but there was also a moment that you looked at like 100 people who were busy working. And so you did feel like, God, everybody's got a job. There, you know, and you felt great about that. We're all building something. And what was great about being this story in New Mexico is almost everyone who worked on the show from New Mexico had a relationship to Los Alamos. They had an aunt that worked there, that my grandmother worked there, somebody else. It, they all, if they were from New Mexico, they have a relationship with it. So the idea of building it. And then once the most rewarding part of the whole design of that was bringing anybody to it, even Lionsgate, who was like apoplectic about the money we were spending. Uh, but when they came to the set, they were like, oh my God. I, I, you know, and I remember Bill D'Elia, a director friend of mine, when he came to shoot it, he went, how did they let you do this? <laughs> Everything. But we brought two women who were probably, I guess they were in their 60s maybe, but they were little kids in Los Alamos. And they were, and, and the inside of the houses was the same paint color. The kitchens were the same. You know, the, everything was, you know, Ruth had sort of done that. So, and she just burst out crying mm -hmm. because she was back in a world that she remembers that little moment in her life where, you know, she didn't know what her dad was doing. She didn't, you know, um, so pretty moving. Well, um, I've gone very, very long. I'm so sorry. I think we have to get out of this room, otherwise they're going to come after me. Um, but thank you so much for being here with me today. I appreciate everybody else coming out. Uh, please enjoy the festival. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas, between June 2nd and 5th, 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.